chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's houses. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. These are the Ten Commandments, also known as the Moral Law, the law of God, when it's referred to in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, encompasses three elements of the law of God. It's the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments for individuals. It's the civil law, which is for the nation as a people in a covenant with God. So it's government under the Lord. And then the religious law, which is the animal sacrifices and the feasts which represent Christ's coming. It all points toward Christ. But when we talk about the law of God, those are the three elements of the law of God in the context overall in the word of God. And this is one portion of it, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. So here we have the Ten Commandments. As we look at God giving them the Ten Commandments, we see that they're pretty simple to follow. The first four deal vertically with the Lord. The fifth one is a transition covenant because it's parents and it's called the honor. So in a sense, it's, it's authority that's over you. So it is a bit vertical. But then the other five go out horizontal to your neighbors, not to steal, not to murder, not to lust, not to covet and those things. So the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone by the Lord for Moses. Now we know later on that Moses breaks the Ten Commandments when he comes down the mountain and he sees the people with the golden calf that Aaron made for them. God gives him another set of the Ten Commandments. But we, we know that the Ten Commandments were written on tablets of stone, but we're told when we give our life to Christ that God's word is written on our hearts. And even in the Old Testament, God promised that he would write his word on our hearts as opposed to tablets of stone. And so there's a great contrast with the law of God, particularly the Ten Commandments, as they apply in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Obviously, the principles are there right through it, but it's important as we look at the Ten Commandments tonight that the first thing that we look at is the context. Because the context gives us the contrast between the Mosaic Covenant of the Old Testament and the New Covenant that Jesus Christ brings in. Now, we know that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He said, do not think that I came to counsel the law, but to fulfill it. And through being born of the virgin, living a perfect, sinless life, he fulfills the law. So to fulfill this perfectly in every aspect, only Jesus Christ has done that. And he fulfills the law. And when he died on the cross in our place, he pays a price for us. The wages of sin is death, and the law proves that we're sinners, so he becomes that acceptable sacrifice. So Jesus fulfills the law of the Old Testament perfectly with his sinless life. He came to fulfill it, and he did. And when he said on the cross, it is finished, 
he finishes a perfect sinless life and his life being the substitute in our place for our sins for those who do not live a perfect sinless life but break the law. And that's important to understand. Now, in the Old Testament, when God says like to Joshua, don't let the law depart from you, don't go to the right or to the left, but you'll keep it and you'll prosper and all that. It is true. Even in chapter 19, the people said, we'll keep the law. Like God said, you'll do this through Moses. And they said, oh yeah, we agree to that. But then they realized they can't keep the law. But just because we can't keep the law doesn't mean it's good. Now, the New Testament talks about this too. The law is good. If you could live a perfect life, this is how you live it. There's only essentially two ways you could be saved, theoretically. To live a perfect sinless life, keep the law perfectly, which you can't because in Adam all sin and die. So the law proves that we're sinners. Or Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, fulfilled the law, and we receive his righteousness in our place when we receive him as Lord and Savior of our life. So that's how we fulfill the law, through faith in Jesus Christ who did fulfill it. And when we're born again and born of the Holy Spirit, then by the Spirit of God we can begin to live out these things, not to justify ourselves before the Lord, but because we are already justified before the Lord through Jesus Christ. And by the life of the Spirit, these things are naturally things that come about from our life. And that's the contrast. In the Old Testament, people saw it as, I'm going to do this and earn my way to heaven. But what they really needed to learn from the law of God is that you can't do this and you need to be saved by faith, which they were in the Old Testament, and you need to receive forgiveness, and you need to bring the animal sacrifices, and you need to be saved by grace, even in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments were never given in the Old Testament that someone could stand before the Lord, a king or a, or a pauper, and say, I'm a righteous person, God, you have to accept me to your kingdom. That's not the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. They reflect beauty and perfection of God's heart, whatever is true, noble, virtuous and praiseworthy it is in these ten commandments the ideal man the perfect man if adam hadn't sinned he would have fulfilled these things but jesus fulfilled these things with a sinless life and thus fulfills the law that's the context of the law in the old testament in fact we're told in the new testament well what do we do with the law well we're told in galatians that the law is our tutor it's our private instructor to point us to be saved, not by thinking we can be a good person and keep it, that God has to save us because we're really good people, but to shut our mouth and realize we must be saved a different way through faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, in Galatians, we're told by the Holy Spirit that the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. And in Romans 3, we're told when we look at the law, we shouldn't say like, oh, I'm a great person. I'm going to make my way. I'm going to earn my way to heaven. I'm going to do more good than bad. In fact, I've never done wrong. I'm going to keep the law. And God has to accept me. But we're told that God is a debtor to no man. And we're told in Romans 3 that he's the justifier of those who are justified. We're told in Romans chapter 3 that when the law is opened up, the Ten Commandments are presented to any human being, it silences us. There's no more talking. It says, be quiet. And it proves that we're sinners. That's what the law does. And then it becomes our tutor to point us to Christ. Now, in the early church, a lot of people, because of their Jewish background, thought, well, I'm a Christian, now I'm going to become a Jew, and I'm going to be circumcised like the Jews, and I'm going to keep the law. And there are people called the Judaizers who went around and polluted with bad teaching, false doctrine, Paul called them false brethren, who still said, like, it's just not that easy that you're saved by faith. you got to be circumcised like the Jews were going backwards, and then you got to keep the law. Like, what, what law? Like, are we talking the, all the Levitical elements of the priesthood type of law, the animal sacrifices, the Ten Commandments, how do we know if we're really keeping it? And then the civic law, how, how can we perfectly fulfill that if the government above us doesn't perfectly fulfill it? It created a lot of confusion and division. That's why Paul called them false brethren. He said the law 
is good if one uses it lawfully. And the purpose of the law is not for a righteous person because we're saved by faith and by grace. The purpose of the law is for a sinful person to know that they're sinful. He says there in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy that the law is to prove that blasphemers are blasphemers, murderers, liars, adulterers, and scoundrels, which is what Ray Comfort does with his ministry, if you know Ray Comfort. And I mentioned this Tuesday night. He's had an incredible ministry for years, and he, he does street witnessing, and he, he lets people justify themselves, and then he shows them the law, and then he takes them to Jesus in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, saying, have you ever lusted for a woman? Have you ever stolen something? And he, and he goes, okay, so now you're an adulterer and a, st- a thief. And so like, so you're an adulterer, thief, blaspheming, and, and, and they're like, I guess you're right. I'm not, I'm not going to get to heaven. And he's like, but you can through faith in Jesus Christ. And that actually is the proper usage of the law of God. It's to show us that we're sinners, and we need to be saved by the Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we look at the Ten Commandments tonight, we need to realize they're beautiful, they're wonderful, as the New Testament says. If if you could be saved by the Ten Commandments, they would save you, but you can't because we break them. And to be guilty of breaking one part of the law, we're told we're guilty of breaking all of it. It's a pass-fail, perfection or total failure. There's no grading curve. And we all fail. For in Adam, all sin and all die. And that's why we're... We have those wonderful promises in Romans 3 that we're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are wonderful promises because we can't be justified by good works and keeping the law and the Ten Commandments. So the context is really important. So when we think, what's the application on the law? Well, first of all, the first application on the law of God for us tonight, for the church of Jesus Christ and for worship generation, is sound doctrine. We need to understand that the law is wonderful and beautiful, but we cannot keep it to be saved by that way. That's what we need to understand. We need to know that, and we need to fully understand that. And then we also know that in the New Testament, we're told that to love our neighbor as ourself is to fulfill the law, particularly commandments 6 through 10. So if we just focus on Jesus and we live a spirit-filled life, we will naturally be fulfilling these elements of the law in our heart and with our life and our walk and our conduct without striving to justify ourselves before the Lord, but because we're already justified by faith, we're naturally going to begin to live this life and these attributes of the Ten Commandments will be demonstrating our life to the benefit of those closest to us and to society as a whole. So it's sound doctrine. You cannot be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments ever. Don't go there. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, it's Mount Sinai and it's the place of death. You will die there. You will die if you try to justify yourself because you can't do it and you'll probably quit and you'll just give up altogether. In fact, Paul said, who has bewitched you, referring to the Galatians when they were moved from grace to the law. And he said, you've fallen from grace to the law, to the same people. And it's death. The law is a dark cloud and it says God is perfect and we are not. And to think we're going to justify ourselves apart from Christ before God the Father by the law is a terrifying thought. And it's one that world religions often pursue in a similar way. No, no, no. By grace you've been saved, that through faith, not of yourself. For we are his workmanship, but we don't boast in our works. So say, yeah, Lord, this is beautiful. Christ, thank you for doing that. I receive your righteousness through faith in you that you did keep this. And now in a life of the Spirit, I'm going to try and serve you as best I can and emulate these wonderful characters, not be- these character attributes, not because they're written on stone tablets, but they're written on the flesh of my heart that belongs to you.
Now, the second thing we see here in this text is that if you break up the law in the, so that's the context of the law, and then those first four commandments, and five is like a hybrid because it's part of both. If you take those first four commandments, they're vertical toward the Lord. So when Jesus was asked by the the lawyer, the study of the law, they said, what, what are the great commandments? You know, and he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, more inside, excuse me. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. On this, the law is fulfilled. So if you get confused going through the Old Testament and you get confused going through the New Testament, I mean, the law of God is summarized in loving God vertically and loving people horizontally. And so now as we got the right context and we come to the vertical we fulfill the first four commandments when we love and honor the Lord properly. When we hallow his name. They say to Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said, all right, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He doesn't bring us to Mount Sinai in a dark cloud that crushes us, but hallowed be your name. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're told there in Romans chapter 8 that we have passed from death to life and we become sons of adoption and we now refer to God the Father as Abba Father or Daddy or Dad, or the more intimate sense of that word. So when we think about loving God vertically, why would we love God vertically? Because he loves us. We, we love him because he first loved us. God so loved the world, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. That's the greatest definition of love, and it's a standard by which any other de- definition of love is measured by. It's far superior than brotherly love, common interest love, or uh, sexual love, or romantic love. It's a selfless love. In fact, we're told that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, and this is how we know love. So when we truly understand that we're sinners condemned by the law of God, and then we truly understand that Christ died on the cross for our sins as the greatest demonstration of love in time, space, and matter ever that will never be surpassed or equaled, and we understand that it's the love of God that, that moves in our life. Paul said in his motivation in ministry, it's the love of God that constrains me, that love is a motivating factor. And so when we, the gospel is, it does mean good news. And the reason it's good news is because we were under God's wrath, rightfully so, being born in Adam in sin and death and under condemnation. But because of God's love demonstrated through the son Jesus, we pass from death to life and now we know that love. And we've gone from being aliens and outside the covenant, as it says in Ephesians, to being one. We've, we've been made one. And we're made one with the Lord because Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father but through him. But he brings us to the Father. We're told there's only one mediator between sinful men and holy God. It is the man, the Son of God, Christ Jesus. He that has me has the Father. He does not have the Son, does not have the Father. And I give them eternal life. So when we receive Christ, we enter into that relationship with the Father, the relationship that angels desire to understand prior to the New Testament and Jesus coming, we're told in 1 Peter. And it's the fullness of everything that ever happened in the Old Testament. So Abraham offering up Isaac, Psalm 22, David describing what Jesus' view was like on the cross. All those things ever written and typologies and all those things, it's all that love that God has for humanity to redeem us from the rebellion of our father, Adam. For in Adam all sin and die. And Christ is the second Adam. So it's love that saves us. And as we understand the love, it is good news. It is good 
good news. When we understand that we're by nature children of wrath and we pass from death to life, we understand the good news. And it's important to understand because that's part of the gospel. It's a very important part of the gospel. Because if people understand they're in a desperate situation when they come to Christ, they'll appreciate the value of Christ. It's sort of like those things about the parachute. If you're on a plane, everything's fine, and someone tries to give you a parachute, like, eh, you know, maybe I need it, maybe I don't. But if you know that plane's going to crash and you've got to use that parachute, that parachute suddenly takes on a greater value. And so, too, Jesus as the Savior, his value as a Savior is understood when you come to Mount Sinai in the law and you realize that you can never save yourself and that you're condemned, but God so loved the world that he gave his Son and the value of Christ, well, Peter called him the precious Savior with the exceedingly precious promises, takes on all the value of that is, it's an unimaginable value. There's nothing more valuable than the love of God proven to us and demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the measuring standard for love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's, that's the highest standard. So when we think about the vertical element of having no gods before the Lord, well, he's like Billy Graham would say, he's Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And why wouldn't Jesus be Lord? Why wouldn't we trust him? As for God, his way is perfect. The will of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all those who trust in him. For the one who did not withhold his own son to redeem us, why can't we trust him or why wouldn't we trust him with all things? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the father lights, there's no shadow of turning. So we understand that it's reasonable to love the Lord because it's the natural response of the creator, of the created to the creator when he's given his own son to redeem us back to himself from our fall. And the redemption of our souls is very costly. So loving God is not a have to or some totalitarian totalitarian government in the sky like I own the universe and you better love me that's ridiculous that's how the devil is God is our Abba Father and everything he does is motivated by love and holiness and purity and virtue and beauty and praise and honor God is light and there's no darkness at all so when we think about keeping the Ten Commandments it's keeping Christ first it's abiding in Christ it's growing in Christ. It's bringing in Christ's word. Let's th- let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, for Christ is in us, the hope of glory. The vertical elements of keeping the law as a New Testament believer is simply understanding who we are in Christ and growing in that position as we prioritize our relationship with Christ every day of our life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. And it really is about keeping Christ first enthroned in our heart. Bill Bright from Campus Crusade for Christ, who's been with the Lord for some time now, he had that booklet that they used for so many decades to win people to Christ on the college campuses, but they had the picture of a chair with Christ's throne on the chair, and everything in your life was in order, but then they had a picture of a chair with self on the chair, and everything was in disorder, and that's really what it's like. We want Christ enthroned, and then we'll grow and we'll become everything we're meant to be. Praise the Lord that when we couldn't save ourselves and we had no chance to fulfill the purposes of our being created, that God sent his son to die for us, that we can be born again and be empowered to be his workmanship and fulfill the very things that we are, in fact, intended for, our redemption. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's beautiful. Like, it's what to live for. It's what we live for. In fact, we're only alive for one of two reasons, to pass from death to life through faith in Jesus Christ or, having done so, to fulfill the purposes of God in Jesus Christ. For in him dwells the richness and the fullness of all things of the Godhead bodily. So in him, we are complete. So we're saved and we're complete. And our life has total purpose and meaning 
and total fulfillment, no matter what's going on outside the world around us. So we press into Christ. So the keeping the ten, first part of the Ten Commandments really is summarized in just abiding in Christ and letting the Spirit abide in us and overflow from our lives. The living water, as Jesus said, which is eternal life flowing from us by the eternal Spirit and bearing good fruit. So we got the context of the law, the Ten Commandments. Now we've got the vertical element of it directed in gratitude toward the Father, sending the Son, and gratitude toward the Son and what he's done for us, and then the life of the Spirit working out the character of God in this journey of life as we fulfill and become his work of art that he's intended for us. Man, life with meaning and purpose. There it is. It's all in Jesus Christ. So it's the vertical relationship, and God is worthy of it. His will is perfect. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. That's why we start to pray that way, because his will is perfect. So whether it's me and my personal life, or my wife and I in our marriage, or the pastoral leadership of the church, trying to discern what God has for us for such a time as this with COVID-19, and all that's going on around us, we should do this, we should do that. No, turn off everything and just draw near to the Lord and go vertical. It's vertical. Get the life vertically, because he is our life. Remember, we saw this early on with the water from the rock. It's Jesus. And the manna from heaven is Jesus, the bread of life. So we, he's our life. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then the third thing that we see is those six commandments, because again, parents is horizontal, but it's also kind of vertical, is relationships with humanity. So as we understand the proper context of the Ten Commandments, and we understand the vertical elements of the first part of the Ten Commandments, that it's just being right with the Lord. Like, you're not going to curse the Lord. You're going to honor all that he honors. Well, then in the back end, we see its relationships with people, which brings us back to what I shared earlier about Romans 13, where in Romans 13, the Holy Spirit through Paul quotes these back end commandments and says, all this is fulfilled when you just love others the way you're meant to. So how are we going to love others the way we're meant to? Well, we're going to abide in Christ. We're going to get right vertically and enjoy that vertical relationship with God, not a legal relationship through the Ten Commandments, like, I'm earning it and God has to, whatever, but the, the loving relationship because God gave his son, and then we have that in place, and then from that overflows the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been freely given to us, as it says in Romans 5. So the law of God is overflowing from our life, the Ten Commandments, the back end, to other people simply by abiding in Christ because the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that love is going to overflow. And that's, we're called the second commandment, great commandments, like the first, but it's horizontal. You should love your neighbors yourself. So as we're right loving God vertically, we're really receiving his love vertically and reciprocating his love, responding to his love vertically, then we're naturally going to go outside. We're going to be more loving. If you're right with loving God vertically, you're going to be more loving with people around you. You're going to be more patient. You're going to be more forgiving. You're going to be more proactive. You're going to be more compassionate. You're going to be more gentle. You're going to be more sensitive and you're not going to see humanity as your enemy, but you're going to be what Jesus said. You're able to do what Jesus said to do is we're going to be able to love our enemies and forgive those who spitefully use us. That's hard to do. In fact, I think it's pretty impossible to do as a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. We have to be having that vertical time with the Lord and then we'll see people the way he sees them. How often do you read in church history of people who are imprisoned or dealt with unjustly had things taken from them, freedoms, assets, things like that, how they loved their captors when they're in captivity and how that love had such a profound impact and effect on the people 
who are taking from them and persecuting them and coming against them. Remember, this is not our home. Our home is heaven. And whatever God allows in our life and in our timeline is to prepare us for heaven. And it's all a test. Even Moses said, the Lord's testing you. He says that in this chapter. It's, he's testing you. It's all a test. And we want to we wanna look upon humanity with empathy and love. Now, there's people that, there's, humanity frustrates us at times. Humanity agitates us. But throughout the Bible, we're just told to honor the king, serve the king, love your neighbor, respect all people, honor all people. It's all there, whether it's coming from Paul or Peter or James or others in the New Testament. Think what they went through and they learned that as they were abiding in Christ and they had the vertical right with the Lord, that they loved their enemies. They forgave their enemies. And it didn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It's something that God does. And he does it. We're to respect our neighbors. We're to consider other people. We're to consider society around us in general. And then even in our own church, in a church time, we're told to consider others esteem them greater than ourselves, to not look out for our own interests, but others. I've shared this before, but years ago, I had the Gil Irwin bumper sticker, which is the word others. And I put that on my car, and that was such an accountability to drive around Orange County with a bumper sticker that just says others. And I saw, I've seen a few other of those stickers. They're not real common, right? Um, it's one thing to put a harvest sticker on your car or not of this world, Right? or an American flag, or whatever. Put others on your car? Man, that, that'll, that'll humble you. Plus, I, that car was kind of like a, it's a little Civic, you know, so big, big trucks, guys in their big trucks. I was like, and my little bumper sticker, others. But that's really what it's about. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who considered not equal to be wrought with God, nor robbery to be equal with God, but forsook those things and laid those things aside to suffer the humiliation, the death, even the death of the cross, which was public execution for a capital crime, which he didn't commit. And we're told that this mind be in us. So when we think about loving our neighbors, it really is just being mindful of other people. We're naturally mindful of ourselves. So when we think about not murdering, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said that begins when we hate. When we think about not committing adultery, he says that begins when we lust after a woman in our heart, or even a man, whatever the case would be, depending on how things work. You shall not steal. Well, that really begins with covetousness and conniving and all that kind of stuff. You shall not lie about your neighbor. We need to tell the truth. You know, we're told in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your word's the most powerful thing you can have. Once you lose your word, what do you got? You have no credibility. It's super important that you keep your word. I've had to keep my word in certain situations that were extremely difficult but I said I'd do this, and then I did it. And that's a, your word is, man, it's got to be credible. And then not to covet your neighbor's good. So we're, we're not like jealous of them because God's done something for them, but we're, we're content. We're told godliness with contentment is great gain. So we're content with what God's given us. But again, all this just, this just stuff overflows when you're abiding in Christ and the spirit of God's working in our life. It just, it overflows from us and it's who we are. And I think as we look at our society right now, as we look at our planet right now, I believe it's really important that if you go back to the context of the law, it's either a loving relationship through faith in Jesus Christ 
or it's a legal relationship through the law. And, and legal relationships is about self-justification. And we did this and God owes me that. But the loving relationship is about amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And they're, they're two completely different worldviews. I just believe it's really important for the body of Christ in 2020, in whatever country we're in. It always is, but this time on our planet, it's really important that we have that relationship that's a loving relationship with the Lord, not a legal relationship. And it's a loving relationship. We're, we're abiding in him, and we're bearing fruit from abiding in him. And we're enjoying our relationship with the Lord in this challenging and uncertain time, which is going to continue to be challenging and uncertain. And we're growing in that relationship. And the fruit of that growing in that relationship is we are just more mindful and more sensitive people around us. We're more appreciative of other people. You know, it's funny, but like all the recycling places have been closed, recycle centers. And I just thought like if you're homeless, because there's a lot of homeless people that do well with recycling. They get, you know, they get the bottles and cans. I thought, how do they, they lost income. You think, well, you lost income because you got let go at this place. And you got, hey, homeless people who depend on recyclables and cashing them in, they've lost the opportunity to turn those in in many cases. Like it's just things to be aware of. That's how they got food in many cases. So I think as we look at how pressed society is for us here in California, here in America and around the world, that we want to be really mindful of other people and keep a tender heart toward them and what their world is like and not be quick to be agitated with people and intense, but to just really keep that time with the Lord and make that time with the Lord so we're overflowing with the Lord and we'll fulfill the principle and the ideas of the Ten Commandments. We'll be enjoying our vertical relationship. We're not doing things that are blasphemous or opposing the Lord, but things that are honoring the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to bear good fruit with society. And society needs to see good fruit right now from the church. They, they need to see something maybe they've never seen before from you, from me. They just need to see something more. They need to see it's not about us, but it really is about Jesus. And it's not about God giving rights or something, but it's more about like giving up rights for God. And that we will lead from this dark place through humility, love, compassion, empathy, sensitivity, consideration, Kindness, gentleness, meekness. Wait, that's all the fruit of the Spirit. We will lead from this place. People closest to us who don't know the Lord, people farther from us that don't know the Lord, and strangers. We need to see the entire journey of COVID-19 and recovery and life itself through the glasses of the love of God given his Son for our perishing world and our role in that message in time, space, and matter. And if we haven't seen it the way we need to see it, we need to see it the way God wants us to see it. And that's what I'm trying to do in my personal life. And I hope that's what we're trying to do in our personal lives. So the Ten Commandments, beautiful, beautiful. And through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be this citizen to the benefit of people around us. And you know what? I've got my hands full with fulfilling the Ten Commandments and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So the secret things belong to the Lord, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. So let's make this our objective to glorify God in the highest level possible as citizens of heaven for such a time as this. In Jesus' name.